Well, good morning. Good to be with you. My name is Matt Howell. I am one of the pastors here and especially want to welcome you to Redeemer. If you are joining us from a place of belief or a place of unbelief or you don't really know what you believe, we're thankful that you've chosen to hang out with us um, this morning. So welcome to Redeemer. Uh, What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church and what that means is that we are a community of people and we are trying to learn how to love God and to love our neighbor. And the way that we do that is we gather together each Sunday to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in his great love for us. And then we get together throughout the week, individually and in small groups, so that we might remind one another of his love for us. And as we rest in his love and remind one another of his love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service, so that together we might reflect his great love. Uh, Because we dream of seeing uh, our city and lives and relationships flourishing anew through the redemptive love of Jesus. So that's a little bit about who we are. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God and, and love our neighbor as we rest and remind and reflect. And in order to help us do that this fall, what we're doing is we are looking at Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is basically Jesus's description of what happens when a community of people start to relate to Jesus as their king. And to set up the passage that was just read for us, uh, I want you to think about the fact that our culture is obsessed with talent shows. If you just think about the, um, the, the amount of talent shows that are on TV right now, here was just a, here's a small sample that I found that I came up with. American Idol, The Masked Singer, Great British Baking Show, Chopped, American Ninja Warrior, Dancing with the Stars, Project Runway, Top Chef, Cupcake Wars, Lego Masters, America's Next Top Model, America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, Canada's Got Talent. Even The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are talent shows. They're, you know, they're essentially a round-robin marriage tournament. But I think one of the reasons why we are so obsessed with talent shows in our culture is because we, we, they resonate with us because we have, in some ways, made our very lives kind of micro talent shows. I mean, if you think about it, we build our resumes so that it will impress a panel of judges so that they will hire us. We, uh, we manicure our lawns for the panel of judges that is our neighbors. We curate our brand on social media for the panel of judges that is the internet. Uh, We virtue signal so that we we don't get canceled, we don't get voted off the island. And so when it comes to religion, when it comes to spirituality, there is this great danger to, to use this as just another platform for performing. In fact, if you look at how the passage begins, Jesus begins in verse one with beware. He is saying, you know, there, there, there are some real hazards to being religious, uh, because it is so easy to turn your faith into just a talent show. In fact, you probably noticed as the passage was read how Jesus uses that word hypocrite three different times in this passage. You see it in verse 2, in verse 5, and in verse 16. Now, in Jesus' day, the word hypocrite was a technical term that was used in the Greek theater. Actors back then were called hypocrites because what they would do is they would wear external masks and put it on their face to portray the, the, the character that they were acting as. And so the idea was, you know, you, you externally appear to be one way, but that's not the real you underneath. 
And so Jesus is using this, he's, he's kind of hijacking this term, this language from the theater department, and he's applying it to our religious lives, to our spirituality. And he's, he's saying a hypocrite is someone that is using religion to basically, that it's, that it's a talent show. It's a costume for them. You can appear moral and devoted and, and uh, spiritual, but that's not the real you. In fact, as you know, this is probably one of the most popular critiques against Christianity from those that are outside of the church, right? It's, you, know, you see the, the church and what is the, what is the critique? It's, well, the, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. In fact, this is, uh, this is why there's this phrase now uh, where people wanna identify themselves as spiritual, but not religious. Somebody who, who wants to be open to God, open to being spiritual, but wants to distance themselves from, from, the, from the hypocrisy and the constraints of organized religion. And so I, I want to be, be authentic. And so the question for this morning is, what does authentic spirituality look like according to Jesus? And there's so much that we can say here, but I think uh, he at least gives us three attributes of authentic spirituality. It is authentic Sorry, it's holistic. That's the first one. Authentic spirituality is authentic, but it's holistic, number one. It's modest, number two. And it's intimate, number three. Holistic, modest, intimate. Let's just look at these one at a time. First, authentic spirituality is holistic. Again, there's, there's so much going on in this passage, we can really only do a flyover, but if you step back and look at the passage as a whole, you'll see that it kind of neatly breaks down into three chunks. In verses two through four, he is talking about the common practice of giving. See it in verse two? When you give to the needy. And then in verse five through 15, he is talking about the common practice of prayer. See it in verse five? And when you pray. And then in the last little section, verse 16 through 18, he's talking about fasting and when you fast. Three different common spiritual practices and acts of devotion, uh, giving and prayer and fasting. But here's what I want you to notice. With each example, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if. His assumption is that authentic spirituality is engaging in some form of external practice. This is not an exhaustive list of spiritual practices by any means, but he's, he's essentially assuming authentic spiritual life means that you are exhibiting your spiritual faith in some sort of uh, external way. Spiritual practices, giving, what is giving? He's talking about almsgiving here, which is a way of, of caring for the poor, a way of caring for the least of these, meeting the, meeting the needs of, of those that are actually uh, financially needy. Prayer, what is praying? Uh, praying is how you communicate with God. It's listening to him. It's, it's turning your, your, your face towards him. It's engaging him. It's being intimate with him. Uh, what, what is Fasting. Fasting is abstaining from anything that is controlling you or short-circuiting your relationship with God. So it could be abstaining from food. Fasting could be abstaining from alcohol, from social media. But if you think, if you think through these three things, what do I mean by holistic? What does this list have to do with being holistic? Well, think about the first one. The first one is inherently a social thing, caring for the poor. When some of us think about spirituality, we immediately in our mind think, well, that's just a, that's a me and God thing. 
That is, uh, you know, reading the Bible, praying, uh, going to worship, silence, solitude. And Jesus is saying authentic spirituality actually has a social, a social dimension to it as well. You know, there was, there was an article that was being passed around on Facebook a couple of weeks ago about the theology of John Calvin, which I know John Calvin is really hip and relevant these days. Um, but they were making, this article was, was analyzing some of his theological thought and was saying that in, according to Calvin, doing justice is a form of piety, caring for the homeless, caring for the needs of, uh, uh, of broken uh, neighborhoods, engaging broken social systems. According to Calvin, that is a form of authentic spirituality, caring for the needs of other people around us. But for some of us, we neglect those things. We neglect the social because spirituality to us is just, it's me and God, it's me and Jesus. Now, for others of us, we make the opposite error. Uh, it's, all, uh, it's all social, it's all horizontal. And so maybe you're the kind of person that gets out there and you're, you volunteer and you, um, you're engaged in local politics and you're, you're concerned about the, the, the needs of our city and yet you neglect prayer and scripture reading and worship and fasting. And, uh, but don't you see that for authentic spirituality is holistic, it's both. It's both horizontal and vertical. It is love of God and love of neighbor. Authentic spirituality is, is, is holistic. But here's the second thing about authentic spirituality, according to Jesus. It's also modest. It's also modest. Three different times, Jesus instructs us to do these spiritual practices, but to do them almost in um, secretive ways, in modest ways. Look at verse 2. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, which is another way of saying, don't draw attention to the fact that you're giving. You know, when you pull up to the stoplight and somebody's, you know, there on the corner um, looking for some money, you don't, you, don't, you don't hand them a $5 bill and then Instagram it. Look at verse six. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. He's saying that, you know, prayer should mostly be private, private, almost like a covert. And then look at verse 17 and 18. He says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, which is another way of saying, if you're fasting from food, don't walk around all droopy and talking about how hangry you are all the time. He's, he's saying, don't draw attention to the fact that you're actually fasting. Now, we have a little bit of a problem here we have to work out because if you remember from Matthew chapter five, when we looked at that, that chapter and Jesus is referring to his followers as salt and light. In verse 17, he says this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. In Matthew 5, Jesus is saying, make sure everyone sees your good works. And now in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus seems to be saying, make sure nobody sees your good works. So what are we doing? What's he saying? Well, um, Jesus is getting at our motives here. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Look at verse 2 and verse 5. Jesus, is, uh, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites in the synagogues. He uses that phrase twice, which is a way of him saying he's referring to religious people, people that went to church often. And he's looking at people that go to church often and he's saying, don't be like them because they never give, they never pray, they never fast. No, 
That's not what he's saying. They're, they're always giving, they're always praying, they're always fasting, but why are they doing those things? And he tells you, sprinkled throughout, what the motive is. Look at verse one. Why are they doing these things? In order to be seen. Look at verse two. Why are they doing these things? That they may be praised by others. Look at verse five. That they may be seen by others. Verse 16, that their fasting may be seen by others. What are spiritual hypocrites after? They are after recognition. They're after applause, after retweets, after you know, little pats on the back. They give, but not for the sake of the poor. They give because it makes them look generous. They want to appear philanthropic. You know, they pray not because they want to commune with God, but because they want to be known as someone who's a prayer warrior. They want to appear godly. Uh, I became a Christian when I was in high school. And I remember going to youth group and sitting next to um, people that had been, you know, going to church and going to youth group for years. And, and I looked over at their Bibles and their Bibles were all worn and there were, you know, sentences underlined and highlighted and earmarked. And I looked at my Bible and this is the Bible that I was given when I was like an infant and it's like never been opened before in my life. So it's just crisp and clean and it's just fresh. And I remember going home after youth group one night and opening it up and just underlining stuff, highlighting stuff, just trying to mark it up a little bit so that the next time I was at youth group and somebody looked over at my Bible, they would think, oh, this guy, this guy just reads the Bible all day long. That's a ridiculous example, but that's the impulse Jesus is getting at, wanting to appear a certain way. This is why Jesus begins in verse one, beware. Doing spiritual stuff like fasting and praying and giving, it is absolutely necessary, but it's also dangerous because it could just be a sophisticated PR campaign for yourself. Now, here's the question. What do we do with this? Because it's not enough just to listen to this sermon, just to read this passage and think, okay, I've got some homework to do. I'm gonna, later today, I've I've gotta start doubling down on my giving I gotta start doubling down on my praying. I've gotta gotta start fasting more. Here's the thing. Just doing religious stuff is actually not the most important thing. The most important thing is why. Why are you doing those things? Are you doing those things to commune with God or so that other people will be impressed with you? Are you doing those things simply to be with God or so that you can get some kind of religious feeling, some spiritual groovy Jesus vibe from experiencing God in that way? Are you doing those things to love God and to love other people or is it really just to love yourself? Now, those are really hard questions. How do you know the answer to that? How do you know what your motives are? Well, Jesus actually tells you. He gives you a test in this passage. Look at verse five. He says, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. The synagogues and the street corners, these were public places where, would you, where you could be seen. And Jesus is saying hypocrites are people that love to pray in public, but they don't love to pray in private. They love to pray when they are out in community, but they never pray when they're alone. And that's the test. If the only time that you pray is in church or in community group or Bible study or some sort of religious setting, 
but you never get alone with God personally. You, you never personally sense your need for him. Then you have to wonder if your, if your spirituality is just a talent show. If it's just a, um, if it's just a performance where you're putting on the song and dance to impress the judges, but there's no authentic, personal, vibrant, real connection to God with, with you personally. Now, you may not be a Christian, and you may be hearing this, and you, you might be thinking, yeah, you don't do things so that other people, you don't do things for other people's opinions. The only person's opinion that really matters is yourself. And you have to know, Jesus also takes aim at that instinct as well. In, in verse three, when he says, um, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that's an interesting expression, but what he's basically getting at is um, self-congratulation. You know, if your right hand writes a check and then hands it to a nonprofit and then, and then your left hand is like, yeah, thumbs up, that was awesome. It's his way of saying, you're patting yourself on the back. You're, you're congratulating yourself. And so Jesus is saying, don't do religious actions in such a way, not just so that other people are impressed with you. Don't even do religious actions in such a way where you're not impressed with you. Now, here's the question. How in the world can you do that? How can, how can you have an, a spirituality that is so modest that you aren't even impressed with yourself? How, how can we get that? Well, th that's the last thing that we have to see here. That authentic spirituality is intimate. It's holistic, it's modest, but it's also intimate. And, and to set up this, this last point, I want you to think about this. What, what is the point of being spiritual? Like, what, what is God after? What does God want with you? We think the point of spirituality, the point of church, the point of religion is to make us nicer, better people. Better behaved, nicer people. And, and can I just tell you, God does not want better behaved people. Jesus does not want just a nicer church, I promise you know, we're, we're, for the most part here at Redeemer Memphis, we're, we're mostly, if not exclusively, Southerners. Maybe, maybe, some of, maybe there's some of you that are Northerners that have kind of, kind of settled in among us. But as Southerners, we know what it's like to stay within the lines and smile and be nice and live, and live externally pleasant lives. And yet we also know that that doesn't necessarily mean that nice, pleasant Southern people give a rip about God or give a rip about their neighbors. Jesus is calling us and inviting us to something so much better, so much deeper than just being nicer, better behaved people. What is it? Well, did you notice in this passage how many times Jesus referred to God as Father? I, I counted it up. You can double check me. I think I'm right, but I counted it all up. 10 times, 10 times in this passage, Jesus refers to God as Father. Why is Jesus using the, that kind of language? And here's why. Because the real reason hypocrites exist is because they don't know God as Father. They think of God as a boss that you have to work for in order to get a paycheck. Or they think of God as a vending machine that I've got to put some stuff in in order to get something good out. But they don't know God as father. And Jesus wants you and me to know that God is father and therefore you are his child and unconditionally loved. My wife, uh, Catherine, sent me this screenshot 
uh, a week or two ago of this uh, online menu from a pizza place in Brooklyn called Vinny's Pizzeria. And they had just, they had just created this new um, menu item and uh, it's called Comforting Words. So, you know, you can click for, you know, $15 pepperoni pizza or breadsticks. And then you can also click on Comforting Words for $1. And here's what the description read of the online menu. It read, for $1, our delivery driver will look you straight in the eyes and tell you everything is going to be okay. You are doing the best you can. I mean, can you imagine pizza guy shows up at your house, knocks on the door, hands you the pizza, looks you straight in the eyes. Everything is going to be okay. You're doing the best you can. Now, my, my, my wife said, if I actually, you know, if, if, if she experienced that, if somebody showed up and said that to her, she said, I just start crying. And, he, and she said, and she texted me, she said, I think it's because we're all so desperate to hear some words of comfort. I think she's right. We're just so desperate for somebody to look at us and say, it's, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. And that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. He wants you to know that God is your father. He's looking at you and me and saying, God is with you. He is for you. He delights in you. He is committed to you. He will not leave you. He is leading you. He will protect you. He will deliver you. He wants you to know how much you are intimately loved. Why does God give us these practices of prayer and giving and scripture reading, all these things? God doesn't give us these practices so that we can express to God how much we love him. He gives us these practices so that we can experience how much he loves us. Why do we pray? We pray so that we can, we can experience the intimate love of God. Why do we read the Bible? So that we can see Jesus and, and be reminded over and over again of how much he, is, he loves us and he's given himself for us. Why, why do we fast? So that we can, be, we can be honed in and focused in on his great love for us. Authentic spirituality is intimate. It's knowing God as father, knowing how much he loves you. But here's the big question. How can you know that? How can you know that? Here's how. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he, he exclusively referred to God as his father. My father, my father, my father, my father, except one time. There's only one time in his whole ministry where he doesn't refer to God as father, but he re refers to God as just God, and it's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he's bleeding out and dying out on the cross, he doesn't say, my father, my father. Why? Why does he not say my father? Why does he call him God? Because in that moment, Jesus is not just losing his life, he is losing his father. In that moment, he is being essentially thrown out of the family so that you and I could be brought in. He is losing his rights to be called God's child so that you and I could be given the rights of being called God's child. He is losing God's adoration and delight and smile and instead receiving God's judgment and displeasure and wrath so that you and I could be brought in as beloved children. Now, when you know that you have a father that is willing to give up everything so that he can embrace you, when you know that you are loved, that becomes the end of the game. You can stop performing. You can stop striving. You, you, can, you can quit the talent show because there's no need for it anymore. When you know the love of the father, you no longer need to be showy. You no longer need to be right to win 
You, you, you no longer um, need to draw attention to yourself, to be recognized. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. The game is over. You're, you're actually freed to be authentic because you are intimately connected to the love of God as your father. But here's the question. Do you know God as father? That's the question for you to wrestle with, but consider an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would press deeper into our own hearts how much you love us, how much you have given up so that you can be with us. And I pray that that would liberate us and free us from having to wear costumes, having to dress up and pretend like we're somebody that we're not. Help us to live and to rest and to work out of a deep sense of your great love for us. Free us by your great love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.